You're listening to the New Life Church Podcast, where we are passionate about helping you connect to your God-given purpose. To learn more about New Life Church, including our service times in Canton, Georgia, visit us online at newlifecanton.com. Well, we are now in our final week of our series, Parables, Snapshots of the Kingdom. I hope you've enjoyed the, uh, the series, but more than that, I hope that you've gotten something out of it. I hope that you have been both challenged and encouraged. I want you to know that because I can get really intense sometimes with my preaching, and I know that I watch myself to try to get better and not be so sound angry. I do. I really do. It's, it's, it's a horrible exercise I have to do every Monday. Have you ever watched yourself or listened to yourself? Yeah, even though I've done this so long, it's still not fun to me. But what I'm, I, I always want to challenge you, amen? I always want to challenge you, but I also want to encourage you. And so I hope you've been both challenged and encouraged today. Next week, we're going to begin a new series that we do every year called Conversations. Now, this is a series that you provide the material that I preach with your questions. Now, I've already received all of the questions, and we've got some great ones. And I want you to know that as I go through this, this is not my opinion. You don't need another opinion. Come on, somebody. You don't need another talking head. Dear God, help us. These are some amazing questions. Thank you, brother. These are some really, really good questions that you have come up with, but they're not from me. It's not my opinion. We're going to look at the Word of God together and what the Word says about these things. I've, I've received questions from politics to predestination and everything in between. Yeah. So uh, you, and guess what? I, I'm going to, I'm going to choose to do the one on politics on November the 1st. <laughs> so you don't want to miss that day for sure. Um, Lord help us. Uh, But as I've done every week, uh, I want to do a quick review because we have new folks in the room every single service. And so I want to do that before we move into it. There's two things that I want you to remember and think about during this sermon and during as we as we've gone through this series. Number one, parables are simply made up stories to make a point. They're made up stories. Jesus would go into a town or a village and he would often heal the sick and then he would teach and he would use stories, parables. He would see something. And he would make up a story on the spot so that when that person or that group of people did that or saw that, they would think of this every single time. It was absolutely brilliant way uh, to teach. Now, I've said this every single week, and it's been true. And it's true 99.9% of the time that parables are stories and made up stories. Today is actually the only exception, and I'll talk about that in a second. Second thing is the kingdom, you know, snapshots of the kingdom. The kingdom is the rule of God not the Knights of the Round Table, okay? It's the kingdom of God. It's the rule of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's a spiritual kingdom, not a physical kingdom, not yet. Come on. When Jesus returns, he will set up his kingdom forever and ever. Give God praise if you're ready for that. Come on. So far in the series and these four parables. Uh, First week we talked about the good Samaritan and the big idea there is that everyone is my neighbor. Everyone, not just the person who lives next door to me, not just the person who looks like me and talks like me and votes like me. Everyone, no matter where they live in the earth or what they look like or how much is in their bank account or where, you know, their, their, their ideologies or their paradigm worldview, 
everyone is my neighbor. Why, pastor? Because everyone has been created in the image of Almighty God. The second week we talked about the mustard seed and the big idea was basically the world's metrics for success. You know what they are. Power, money, fame, talent, all of those things that we push for and strive for. And none of those things are what God looks at. None of those things are what's the most important thing in the kingdom of God. God uses a different metric for success. And we talked about that in week two. And the third week, the rich fool. The big idea is that you cannot live a life of greed and simultaneously live a life of faith. We have to guard our hearts against greed. And that begins, everybody say begins. It begins with thanksgiving. And then it continues and builds with generosity. You cannot be thankful and greedy at the same time. You cannot be generous and greedy at the same time. And then last week we talked about the unforgiving or the unmerciful servant. We found out that mercy and forgiveness are in fact linked. If we want to receive mercy, then we have to offer mercy. If we want to receive forgiveness, then we must in turn forgive each other. This week I chose an illustration that, once again, scholars include in the parables, and that's why we're doing it. To me, it's a little bit borderline because it doesn't fall into the the same category of a made-up story. It's not traditional in that way. In other words, this is a live-action parable. This is a real life. It really happened. And so that's the difference. And this story, this, this real story, leads us into some very uncomfortable territory in our faith. Everybody look at me. I'm not going to lie. Today's message is tough. It's a hard word. But I want you to remember, this is not my word. This is God's word. This is the word of Christ. And sometimes that's what we need is to hear it from him. But again, I hope it challenges you, but also I pray that it's encouraging as well. I think it's very important as we approach what could be could be, might be, the tail end of this pandemic. Again, could be, we don't know, right? Uh, They're talking, you know, they're definitely taking better care of people. They've figured some things out. There could be a vaccine, you know, all this thing going on. It could be, but I think regardless of what 2021 looks like, we've been in this for eight months. I think it's a good idea we pause and evaluate. Both as individuals And as a local church, we evaluate where we are, what God has been speaking to us and how we've done and how we're doing right now. I strongly believe, I strongly believe that God allowed this pandemic to reveal some things. You see what I said, allowed it, not caused it, but allowed it to reveal some things that desperately needed to change in my life, your life and in the church I'm not talking just about new life. I'm talking about in the West, in America. But if we're not careful, as is our nature, we'll soon forget them. When you're right in the middle of something, it's easy, right? But then when you get through it, we we forget about it. That's why I make sure, one of the big reasons I make sure I'm on personally on the mission field 
at least once a year, if not three or four times. Because it's very important that me, me as the leader of this house, remembers how 95% of the world lives. And that we're not in some bubble here in Canton, Georgia. Because that's the way we are. We have to remember how we have been blessed to be a blessing. But if we're not careful, we'll forget what God has been trying to teach us. And I'm telling you, I think we've done well. I think God has been pleased. We've said, like Pastor Travis said, we've said yes over and over again. We've reached out. We haven't stayed in. We've reached out in our community. We've reached out overseas. But all that go away if we forget about it. And the worst thing that could happen, are you hearing me today? The worst thing that could happen is for us to slip back into normal. God does not want us to go back to normal. God does not want us to slip back into tradition and mediocrity. Today, let's get our notes ready. Get your phones out, whatever you use. Get your steel-toed boots on. Some of y'all are like, what? why would I do that? Because I'm going to get on your toes, that's why. Just remember that when I preach a message like this, I had to deal with it first. Just remember. Today we're going to talk about the parable of the fig tree. And I want you to receive this in the right attitude. And what is the right attitude? Joy. We receive the word of God, whether it's a tough word or a word that we can run the aisles with with joy. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, I pray your grace be upon us today. I pray your mercy be fresh this morning like the manna gathered. And I pray that your word would become alive and that we would receive it this morning with joy. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Praise the Lord. Y'all doing all right? No, you're not. How many Georgia fans in the house? Yeah, yeah. I see you down there, Roy. I see you with your big Alabama face mask on. I'm going to have an altar call at the end for all the... My, my team got killed by a team we should have beat too, so it's fine, it's fine. It's all good, it's all good. We're going we're gonna to make it to heaven. By God's grace and mercy, long-suffering. Anyway, Mark chapter 11, if you have your Bibles, uh, of course, on the screen you can watch. It's in the New Living Translation. Mark 11, we're going to begin with verse 12. The next morning as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. <laughs> he noticed a fig tree in full leaf a little way off, so he went over to see if he could find any figs. But there was only leaves because it was too early in the season for fruit. Verse 14, then Jesus said to the tree, may no one ever eat your fruit again. And the disciples heard him say it. (laughs) Y'all, the fig tree looked good from a distance. Come on. It looked good. It looked ready. It looked like it it would have the most amazing fruit. It looked very promising from afar. It was a little too early in the season for normal, but often, and this is true, fig trees would bud early. 
And all the signs were there for that to have occurred. And so that's what Jesus was looking for and hoping for. But when he looked close, say he looked close, there was no fruit. Y'all know where I'm going today? Okay. Just. Now, here's the deal. Was Jesus hangry? <laughs> or was there a point to this story? How many get hangry when you don't have your food? Come on. That's why you come to the 930 service, right? So you can go to IHOP right after the service. You don't want to get hangry. Now, I think it's in the New Testament for a reason. It's in there for a reason. We're going to skip to verse 20 because the fig tree story actually ends in verse 20. And there's some stuff in between there that we're going to talk about that are linked together. Verse 20 says, the next morning as they passed by the fig tree he had cursed, the disciples noticed it had withered from the roots up. It was dying. So Jesus literally cursed this fig. This is not a story. This is not, a, you know, not made up. He literally did this for real. Why would he, I mean, this particular tree was not the only tree in full bloom that didn't have any uh, figs. It wasn't the only one. What happened in between him cursing it and this that links together? It's an event that you've all heard. Even if you haven't grown up in church, you've heard of this event that happened that links these things together. Let's find out in Mark eleven fifteen. When they arrived back in Jerusalem, this is right after he had cursed the fig tree. They cursed the fig tree and then went into Jerusalem. Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out the people, buying and selling animals for sacrifices. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves, and he stopped everyone from using the temple as a marketplace. Verse 17, he said to them, the scriptures declare, my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. He was quoting Isaiah 56, 7. Now, before we dive into why Jesus was angry, let's talk about what he did. This wasn't some passive aggressive thing. This wasn't some uh, uh, rolling of the eyes. He wrecked the place, y'all. Jesus wrecked the place and literally drove the people out of the temple. In John's account, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, in John's account of the same event, it says he made a whip. <laughs> now, everybody here over 40 knows that when you talked back to your mama back in the day and she headed toward the utensil drawer, you knew what was coming out. You knew the wooden spoon was about to make an appearance and it wasn't going to be for show. Yeah. Might have been a spatula, but in our house it was a wooden spoon. And my mom would take it with her on trips. And we had the old wagon. Remember the wagon? And so me and my sister, we'd be in the back seat and we'd be doing the, oh, you're on my side. No, I'm on your side. You're on my side. Stop it. And without warning, like a thief in the night, the blink of an eye, she used our legs like a bell. Without looking. It was uncanny. Like a and it was before our brains could even register the pain, it was over. <laughs> Hi, Mom. I know she's watching. 
If you go to the trouble of making a whip, you're going to use it. And he used it. And he knew exactly what he was going to do. It was premeditated. He had been there the day before and scoped it out. (laughs) He had seen what was going on. He knew what he was going to do when he cursed the fig tree that morning. Now, in most cases, if somebody acts this way, just imagine it today, coming into the office, getting mad, starting turning the desks over, throwing computers around. There would be some sin involved in that. But when Jesus did this, He was righteously angry. Righteous indignation. And before you think all your anger is righteous, just just take a step back. (laughs) Righteous indignation. Look at the screen. We talked about the what, here's the why. Jesus became angry because God's house of prayer had become a place of extortion and a barrier to Gentiles who wanted to worship. That last part is so important. See, this was Passover. So people from all over the world, including some Gentiles, people like you and me, non-Jewish people who had converted, they came to Jerusalem, but they wouldn't let them into the normal place in the temple to worship. So they had to worship in the court of the Gentiles. And so they set up this marketplace where they're selling and and, and, and money exchanging and all this stuff. They They sold it. They basically set up a big barn right where they're supposed to be able to worship and they couldn't even move because of the chaos. Can you imagine trying to worship with people bartering and yelling and screaming and horses or cattle making noise and the smell, right? And so here's what would happen even to the Jews. They would come from other countries with other kinds of currency and they would have to change that currency at the temple to be able to give. So the money changers would rip them off. If you, have you, have you traveled out of, the, out of the country? You have to change your currency and there's always a cost to it, but it's, a, it's not a big cost. It's not a, if, hopefully it's not. You might got it ripped off too. There's usually a little bit of an upcharge because I said that make money, right? But these folks would charge 50% more. I mean, they would kill them, cut them off at the knees and pocket the rest. They were ripping them off. And then they had to have animals to sacrifice. So the... If you didn't bring your animal with you, you had to buy one right there on the spot. It's like buying a Coke at Six Flags. Come on, somebody. $12 for a 25-cent drink? I'll pay a dollar all day long. 12? Yeah, so you get it. This is what was happening. They had them over a barrel. They had no choice. And so Jesus was seeing people being ripped off. And a place that was supposed to be a place of worship being used as a marketplace for extortion. And he was furious. The cursing of the fig tree was a live action, a real life parable related to the clearing of the temple. Here's what I mean. The temple was supposed to be a place of worship. It looked like a place of worship. It looked like it was supposed to be a place of prayer. But true worship had departed. I hope you're receiving this. True worship had departed. And the world, and the world's ideology, and the world's practices had taken over. The fig tree showed promise of good food, good fruit, but it produced none. 
Jesus cursed the fig tree, foreshadowing the anger he demonstrated in clearing the temple for the same reason. Look at the screen. Jesus was righteously indignant at religious life without substance. He was mad at religious practice without fruit. He was furious with these so-called religious leaders. These were the pastors of the day. These were the full-time staff of the church, if you will, that were ripping people off. He was so mad at them for overusing and, and overstating and misusing their authority. He was angry at the, that the temple was so beautiful and impressive, but there was no lasting impact in God's kingdom being done. I got an email this week from someone watching, and she may be watching today. God loves you. I love you. You're wrong. She gave me down the road because I don't have a suit and tie on. And listen, don't take this wrong. I'm not making fun. I'm making a point. She got mad at at the church because our our room does not have windows and well-lighted and and all of those things that you've probably heard before. It looks too much like a theater and this and that. She got angry. She she talked about, you know, uh, someone on the stage that had a rip in their jeans, and it was probably my daughter. (laughs) It's so easy to get our eyes off the main thing. It's so easy to get focused on the temporal to the detriment of the eternal. If we claim to have faith but fail to produce fruit, we are no different than the barren fig tree. If we claim to know Jesus but our lives, listen, exhibit no evidence of his presence, we're no different than these religious Hypocrites. That's what the world sees, right? Look at the screen. Genuine faith produces genuine fruit. Basically, Jesus is saying that lip service is not enough. There must be some action involved. Now, we may say it like this in our day. Put your money where you're... Or actions speak louder than... Or if you're going to talk the talk, you got to. This is what James, the brother of Jesus, said in his, uh, in his book. He says this, James 2.14, he says, What good is it? What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith, say such faith, can such faith save them? He's saying, y'all, it's fake. It's not even real. Verse 15 says, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Now let me tell you how this plays out in our world. And unfortunately, in my world, in in my life sometimes, I meet someone with a legitimate need. Happens all the time. Maybe they need somebody to watch their kids while they go to an interview, or maybe it's a financial need. Maybe uh, they need a hot meal or a tank of gas, whatever it is. And instead of 
helping them meet one of those needs, I say something like, well, brother, I'll pray for you. I'll be lifting you up. See, Jesus and James, they're, they're throwing a, foul, a flag on that play. 15 yards, loss of down. Sorry, it's football season, y'all. I'm just the best I can do. I got to keep it light every now and then. Sure, you pray for them. Of course you do. Of course you pray for them. But you also do what's in your power to help them. Listen carefully. You might be the answer to their prayer. They may have already been praying and God wants to use you as the vessel to answer their prayer. I know you don't know if you want to clap or not. That's fine. It's that kind of message. It's like, that was... Here's, here's what I'm guilty of so often. I go a little step beyond, I'll pray for you, brother. And I'll say something like, what, what can I do? That's, that's better. But there's still a problem with that. What's the problem? It's a question. And it puts the pressure back on them. And so anybody with a little bit of pride or anything like that, nothing's going to happen. How about, let's switch that to, how about I? Instead of, what can I do? Instead of saying that, you say, well, how about I pick up your kids? Or how about I follow you to the gas station and pay for the gas? How about I run down to Publix and get some lunch meat, some bread, some chips, and some drinks, and tonight at least, you won't have to worry about anything? How about I? Say that with me. How about I? Is this practical or what? Now, so here's the big idea. Yes, we're already there. It's a tough word, but it's a short word. You can just be thankful. Here's the big idea. Good works don't save us. They are simply evidence that we are saved. Let me make sure we're on the same page. Good works cannot ever save you. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. We talked about it last week. We have a debt to sin that we can never, ever pay on our own. Only through the blood of Jesus Christ can we be forgiven of our sin debt. Somebody say amen. Good works can never get us there. We can't give enough in the offering. We can't do enough good things. We can't come to church enough. None of those things will get us into heaven or take away our sin. Only the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on Calvary can do that. Give him praise. Come on, let's make sure we're on the same page. I'm not preaching a gospel of works. Good works don't save us. They are evidence. They are evidence, listen, of a changed heart. They are evidence of a renewed mind. They are evidence of a resurrected spirit. You see, before you get saved, your spirit, man, is dead. You're made up of body, soul, and spirit. You've heard that. Body. Your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. And then your spirit, man, is dead until Christ resurrects. Jesus used 
this real life, real action, live action parable to say that faith without works, faith without fruit, faith without evidence is not a complete faith at all. I want you to hear me in the, in the, the spirit that I'm giving this to you in love. That kind of faith is prevalent in America. It's a faith that will leave you frustrated and empty. It's a faith that will leave you dissatisfied with the Christian experience. Why? Because it's not real. It's empty. It's like the top half of the ruffles bag. Here's the deal. It's a faith that when trouble comes and trial and pain come, and they do, they will. Won't help you. Won't help you. I'm convinced, and this is a tough statement, I'm I'm convinced there's a lot of people in America who think they're okay, who think because they said a little prayer that they're saved, they're, they're okay. And now, of course, I'm not the judge. But I think a lot of folks have swallowed a lie from people like me, pastors and pulpits, who preached partial truth, said things to tickle ears, to get people in the door, and omitted these harder messages. Folks, we must be more than impressive on the outside. I'm talking about as a church and as, a, as a, an individual. Remember, we're evaluating. There's no debate. There's no question. We must bear fruit. Why, Pastor? Because there's a lost and dying world out there, desperate, and they don't even know it. Desperate for God's presence. Desperate desperate for good news. Desperate for hope. Desperate for peace and joy. And we have access to all of it through Christ. Look at the screen. The church has not been commissioned to impress the world, but to impact the world in Jesus' name. Somebody give him praise. Come on. There's been way too much effort and money spent by the church in America to impress people. When we should be impacting families, children, teenagers, adults, the hurting, the poor, the rich, everybody. We're the body of Christ. First and foremost, we are his hands and his feet. We can't afford to let up, folks. Come on. We can't afford to slip back into normal. We can't afford to slip back into tradition. We can't afford to slip back into mediocrity. We have been given so much 
but to whom much is given, much is required. I can't believe it. Looking at Tim and Lisa right here, they were here and and several others. It's been five years this month since I came officially as your senior pastor. It's It's crazy to think about. Five years, yeah. I came with a statement, with a word, with a scripture when I first got here. And I want to say, I give you my word that I am not going to settle for a Balaam type of leadership. Balaam was a prophet in the Old Testament who basically you could pay him, prophet of God, you could pay him to say what you wanted to hear. I refuse to be a hireling. I refuse to do what I do just for a paycheck. I commit to prayer. I commit to fasting. I commit to truth. I commit to leading with honesty and integrity. And I hope those of you who are serious will be right there with me, seeking God for his perfect will, wait a minute, during these ever-changing times. I'm calling on those who have been working to work a little bit harder. I'm calling on those who have been attending but haven't been working, been kind of sitting back. I'm calling you to step up to the plate. We've got a job to do. Let's lock arms. Let's do it together. Begin using the gifts and talents that God has given you. And I want to be sensitive. I'm calling those of you who have gotten comfortable sitting at home. I'm not speaking against those who feel immune compromised or those who are protecting grandparents. But I know it's easier to sit at home with a cup of coffee on your couch than to get your kids up and to get in the building. But I'm calling you back into the building. We've got a job to do. I love you. You're a part of our church and I want you to come home. I want you to come back. I want you to come back into the building. We've all got a job to do and it's time that we link arms and we do it in Jesus' name. Because if we don't, who will? All right. I want to make sure you know that none of that was in a condemning fashion. Judgmental. Come on, I'm your pastor, I'm not your boss. And everything I teach, I have to wrestle with first. So just remember. Let's take this tough word that Jesus showed us in stride and let's be obedient to the Spirit of God. Let's repent of any sin in our lives. And let's move forward in faith. Our best days are in front of us. I believe that with everything in me, both collectively as a church and individually as believers. Let's be a, let's be a people with complete faith, complete faith. Let's be a church that is bearing fruit and making an impact for the kingdom of God. If you were challenged and or encouraged by today's message, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever else you find us. To experience other messages, videos, and live events, visit us online at newlifecanton.com. And again, thank you for listening to the New Life Church Podcast.